0: 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you take your Bibles, turn with me there. Thank you, my brother Craig, for leading us. I have this thought when Craig leads, and um, in, in everything even this morning, I think of a parking vest, a guy, or a password, it's just really real. It's like real life here every week, and we praise God and we celebrate um, God I'm so grateful that you were here. I was just thinking a moment ago the way I was describing how how God closed that gap that we were talking about. Um, and I thought that's really what God does. That's why we're here, because God closes gaps between his holiness and our sinfulness. And it is through Christ we celebrate his name that closed the gap for us even to be here, to be in relationship, to have fellowship, to be able to worship. Um, and celebrate a God who closes the gap. Um, we continue on in our series, um, our final week in our stewardship series. I heard a story I wanted to share with you about a farmer uh, uh, who called the church office. He was actually a, a very wealthy farmer. He was, a, he was a pig farmer. And he called the church office, and um, secretary asked, and he said, can I, can I talk to the head hog, please? She said, "Excuse me. Um, if you're referring to our beloved minister, you can refer to him as reverend or pastor. But I don't know if it'd be appropriate to refer to him as the head hog." And he said, "I'm I'm sorry. He said I just wanted to let him know I'd like to meet with him because we just sold a whole lot of pigs, and I got a really big gift. I was going to give. I want to give ten thousand dollars to the church." He said, can you just hold one moment? I think I hear the little porker on his way right now. <laughs> Forgive me, I, I want to be respectful to the office of the pastor. Okay, but I read that I, I kind of chuckled. So I want to share that with you. Let's pray. I need prayer. I need a lot of, a lot of prayer. We need a lot of help. Uh, Father, we thank you. I, I want to thank you so much for who you are. I, I thank you, Lord, that we can we can worship you in this setting, that we can learn and grow together, we can live life together, we can laugh, we can cry. And Lord, you love us unconditionally. Lord, we struggle and stumble and fall every day in our own brokenness, in a broken world, and yet, Lord, you have enabled a, a, a path toward you, toward righteousness, toward holiness. You've allowed this process of sanctification to take place because of Jesus. And we thank you and celebrate his death on the cross and his shed bloods. And we thank you when we celebrate his rising from the dead. Thank you, Lord, that we can walk in the newness of life. Thank you for the message of the gospel. God, I would ask as we strive to fulfill the vision you've given to us to transform this community through the gospel that you would enable us to do it in a way that only you and you alone are the focus, you alone are glorified. Thank you for this word today. We ask that our our minds, our, our hearts would be attentive to you, that we'd listen, that we'd learn, and we would leave your house knowing that we've heard from you. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We have been dealing with the subject of biblical stewardship. This is our sixth and final week in this series. Um, Very closely connected to the subject of stewardship is the subject of giving. And we love to hear the words um, and the teaching even of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 6, it says this in verse 38, Give and it will be given. We hear that and we're like, wow, I like that. I, I love that idea. If we give something, then God has something in store for us. We love to hear verses that we'll read in just a moment that that he, Christ, became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Wow, we get to be rich. We get to have God give us things. We love to read and hear things about, about what bountiful blessings the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi talks about. However, what I want to address this morning that in our culture, in our country, sadly, Many, many people have taken verses like that, and they have literally yanked them out of context. They have misinterpreted them, they've misunderstood them, and they have actually misled others with a thinking. It's, it's referred to oftentimes in several terms as the health and wealth gospel, or name it, claim it, religion. Another popular term is the the word of faith movement or what I will refer to it as very clearly is prosperity theology. A prominent thought in our world that says when you give something to God then boy, you better just hold on because you are going to be blessed with great amounts of wealth, physical, financial, material wealth. Sadly, American evangelicalism has even exported this very dangerous false theology to foreign fields through the work of missions put your trust in in faith in lord jesus christ and your crops will always grow your your children will be healthy uh, your your goats and your pigs and your chickens will never get sick and they will never die it's false teaching there's a lot of it that is really propelled to us, or proponents of it, from televangelists. They're kind of the ones with the, the puffy, blown dry hair a lot of times. I don't know why, it just seems to be. They have this airbrush look about them. I'm not trying to be critical, but we have to understand what biblical discernment is. When a guy says, this is your best life now, Joel Osteen, that's not true. This is not the... Our best life is not to be now. Our best life is when we get to heaven. Remember that. I'm not trying to be critical. We have to understand what is truth. There's proponents Robert Tilton and Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and Creflo Dollar. Get his name. I don't figure that. I don't understand that. One Tampa Bay televangelist actually says this. If you give to our church, if you give to our new building program... You can expect that God is going to give you a newer and a bigger house. Okay, that is, that is dangerous. That is not truthful. So as we conclude our study on what, on stewardship, it is important for you and I to examine very closely the motivation, the deep inside reason that we give. Now we've looked at what? We've looked at such Subjects as, as the fact that it's an ownership issue. We've looked at lordship. We've looked at the temporal versus the eternal. Looked at the importance of obedience, the importance of sacrifice. But now I believe we need to, to look deep within ourselves and ask the inevitable question that we have a tendency, every single one of us has a tendency to think, if I give to God, what is God gonna give to me? We think that. If I give, what am I going to get? What every single one of us need to understand is that God is not a winning lottery ticket. Okay, he's not a good luck charm. He's not some wealthy uncle sitting on a rocker on the porch ready to give to you whatever. It's not it. He's not some magical genie that is willing to give to you whatever you want if you rub the golden lamp the right way. That's not true. The health and wealth gospel dishonors the Lord Jesus Christ. Prosperity theology is based on half truth. Now there are certain truths that are very clear within the context of Scripture. that says what? God will, will, will always take care of his own. God will provide for the needs that we have in life. Truth. Truth is what? You can never outgive. God. We understand that. The truth is what? God will always bless those who are faithful and he will bless those who are faithless. It says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Certain things that we know are true. God is always good to his word. We understand as well that truth is God in his sovereignty has the right and he chooses for some reason to prosper some people more materially than he does other people. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says this, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing first and foremost. We're going to look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. And we hear that, we yank out of context. Well, I like that verse. Wait a minute. That is is talking about us being spiritually rich. Through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are what? We are rich in salvation. We're rich in redemption. We're rich in forgiveness. Rich in his grace, rich in his love and his mercy. We are, we, are, we are rich in peace and we are rich in glory and honor. We are, what is God's word? We are joint heirs. Think of that. You and I are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are most blessed. Which brings us to our sixth and final stewardship principle. Here it is. God blesses me not to raise my level of living, but to raise my level of giving. Got it? It rhymes. God blesses me. God blesses you and I not to raise what we think our level of living, but our level of giving. People hear that and they say, well, I think I'd like to reconsider my offering that I put in. Wait, wait a minute. We have to see that there's this human tendency in our flesh to look out for what? Numero uno. Look out for ourselves. Do you realize that the Corinthians were just like this? Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote extensively on this subject because it is such an important part of, of the life of a believer of Jesus Christ. As Paul visited several churches, he encouraged them to give to other believers who were in need. He, he makes specific mention to give to the Jewish believers that were in Jerusalem because they were facing the hardest and the harshest persecution. They had, they had less than anyone else. And so as Paul went from church to church... Yes, we encourage them, be generous and give to those who are in need, particularly to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. The Macedonians, we looked at this in the past, what they gave and they gave and they gave. The Macedonian churches are those churches that were in Philippi, the churches that was, was in Thessalonica, the churches that were in Berea. It says that they gave out of their extreme poverty and yet they gave with an abundance of joy. Now there's another group. There's the Corinthians that Paul says, there's, there's other Christians who are in need. You need to be generous and give to them. And the Corinthians did what we do. Oh, I, I'll give. I think that's a really good idea. And the Macedonian churches actually gave. And for some reason, the Corinthians had a hard time from going from, oh, oh I'll give to actually what? To do it. So there's a, there's a there's a breakdown, and Paul uses every strategy that he can think of. He actually praises them, he encourages them for their willingness to give, thinking that it would kind of, what, move it along, but it didn't. Paul actually sent Titus and some other Christian brothers to the Corinthians to say, okay, we're here to get your gifts. Okay? It still didn't work. You can read all about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So by the time we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want you to look at this. You can follow along as I read. This is how Paul begins. I love this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. This is how he actually starts. Okay, As if, hey, you're not getting it. The point is this. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Paul says this. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, it's a wonderful analogy that everyone in a first century agrarian-based culture would easily understand. The problem is, is that many of you... And many Americans today don't understand this idea and we miss this thought. Here's here's the lesson in it. When one plants grain, he gets grain. Are you following me so far? If you put grain in the ground, it's going to grow. You're going to get grain. Oats, oh, wheat, barley, they're all grains. Now when you take grain, and you grind it up really small, it will make flour. And then you can bake breads and rolls and and pies and cinnamon buns and (laughs) sticky buns. And you can crush the little pecans on top of the sticky buns. And you can have them with orange juice. You can do all of those things. You can eat it all. But all your grain is going to be gone. Or or you could do this. You could take some of your grain, you could grind it up, make flour, bake the bread and the sticky buns. And then you could take some of the grain and you could actually put it back into the grounds and it will produce more grain. The idea is this. what The choice of what you're going to do with it is yours. The choice is entirely Yours. The problem comes when the bread is baking in the oven and we say, that smells so good. I want more of it. There's a problem that comes with that. There's a problem that says, you know, if I save some of the grain and I put it back into the ground, I don't really know for sure if it's going to rain or not. I don't really know for sure. And maybe I could lose the grain that I'm putting in the grounds. Which it it boils down to what? The entire thing. Paul says this. It's all about trust. The exact same principle applies with all of the blessings that we have been given in life. Paul says you can hold on to it, you can hoard it for yourself, or you can give it back to God. You can entrust Him with it. And Paul wrote on this very subject, even stressing the importance, what? That, that God wants you to do this willingly, not reluctantly. Now the translation says, not out of a sense of compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. So so it's this idea of we've got to learn how to do this and we've got to learn to do this with joy. What does it say? It says this in, in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians. And it says in, in verse 11 that you will be enriched. The ISV actually translated, you will be made rich. Wow, I love that idea. But God comes right out and he tells us why you will be enriched in every way. Why is it? First and foremost, here it is. Being rich in Christ does not mean you want to get more, it means that you will want to give more. The first reason, this is what it really means to be rich in Christ. To be rich in Christ means this. You actually not want to get more. It means that you will want to give more. It's actually repeated twice. You will be enriched in every way. What in verse 11? For all of your generosity. And then it's the same idea is repeated in verse 12. Supplying the needs Of other people, supplying the needs of the saints. It's it's not so that we can find more ways to spend it on ourselves. It's not so that we are to indulge ourselves. It's not so that we buy things to spoil our kids who frankly are already spoiled. It's not for that reason. It comes down to the idea you will be enriched. The NIV actually translates it like this in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. Whenever there's occasion, you have something to offer. You have something that you want to offer, and you offer it with joy. You ever hear of, of R. G. Laterno, he founded Laterno University? Years ago, he was the guy who actually invented a lot of the giant earth moving machines, bulldozers, excavators, and backhoes. It's like a boy in a sandbox's dream. Okay? R. G. Laterno was a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he he actually lived on what is referred to as a reverse hive, Which means that he was living on ten percent of his income and he was Giving 90% of his income. Think about that. This is what Letourneau says. He says, and I quote, I shovel it out and God shovels it back. But God has a lot bigger shovel than I've got. (laughs) It's like an earth moving thing, get it? The shovel. It's pretty obvious as far as why God does this. God provides for us more than we need in every area. Not so what? Well, now I think that we need better food or more of it. Not so that we have a bigger home or now we have nicer clothing or or, or a more comfortable means of transportation. We oftentimes think, oh, it is such a blessing. And it is. But but. Rather, I want you to have your first thought. Rather than, oh, this is such a blessing. Oh, this is such a test to determine how am I going to handle this? How am I going to live this day in obedience or how am I going to live in disobedience to the word of God? It's really surrounded, the entire idea is surrounded around this subject, this one word. Someone asked me, again, I thought, I thought it was pretty clear. They asked me, what is stewardship? Great question. A lot of times we feel that this is a word that we, we kind of peel it out once in a while to make giving sound more spiritual. It's not it. Okay. Stewardship seems to be a word that's very easily misunderstood, almost buried today, and we got to bring it back out again. Stewardship is defined as what? It is A steward is someone who is entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with responsibility of managing it in its owner's best interest. That's what it means. The the Bible tells us repeatedly God owns everything and we are to manage it. We're to be stewards of it. The Bible tells us all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 what that we, as his creation, are to subdue this, this earth, this creation. We subdue it and we're to have dominion over everything. We are to rule over it. We're to be stewards of this earth. The psalmist said it like this. You made him ruler of the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. God has actually entrusted into our care virtually every single resource to be carried out with faithfulness. Therefore, stewardship is not a subcategory of being a Christian. It is the Christian life. We're stewards of our time. We're stewards of the talents, the gifts, strengths that God has given to us. We're stewards of that. Of our monies, of our material possessions, stewards of our, of our family, stewards of His grace, everything. And God evaluates how you're doing in this area. I was in a person's home, absolutely beautiful home. And I, and I commented, I said, you have a beautiful home. And and they said, well, thank you very much, but it's not our home. It all belongs to God. He just lets us live here. I love that idea. Everything belongs to the Lord. It immediately puts the focus on Him, which brings us really to our our, our final point of this entire series. What does it really mean to be rich in Christ? Being rich in Christ means that you want to focus more on God and less on yourself. True understanding of what it means to be rich in Christ means that you will want to focus more on God and less on yourself. You will be enriched. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way which through us later will produce a thanksgiving to God and then again it's repeated. For, for all of us slow learners that are out there, everything in this, in this text is repeated two times. It says in verse 12, so we're overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Everything comes back to, Lord, I just want to praise you. I want to thank you for what you have done. The problem is, is when something seems to go right in our life, there is a win. You know what I mean by that? There is something that, that we celebrate, a promotion. We got a raise. There's a success in our life. There's a victory. For some reason, we actually think that there's something that we did to deserve that. It's completely skewed. My, my older sister this week, Trish, turned 50. Oldest one in our family. We sent her flowers. We did all of what we're supposed to do. She was born February 22nd, 1964. When she was two days old, she doesn't remember this. I actually had to tell her the story because I just love history. When she was two days old, Cassius Clay beat Sonny Liston. You remember that? Remember Muhammad Ali? Okay. In Miami, Florida, it was like the fight of all fights. There is Sonny Liston. He is a a a massive, a a a world champion heavyweight boxer, and and this kid out of nowhere, Cassius Clay comes on and demolishes him. I don't know if you realize this or not, you can actually go back, you can watch it, you can YouTube it. And then after the fight, okay, technical knockout, Cassius Clay is actually standing on the ropes and he has this rant. It's famous today. I am the greatest! I told you so! There's no one better than me. I am the greatest! And there's this whole thing. Have you seen Muhammad Ali lately? I tell you what, it's it's sad. It's really sad. And and I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way. I'm just thinking that there there is there is a brevity to life and there's a finality to life here on this earth. And I saw the last public appearance, I believe was October. He was with his daughter. He literally he cannot move, he cannot speak. Through through Parkinson's, and he just sits there. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. I I'm the greatest wait a minute. No, there's only one. There's only one who is the greatest. Doesn't matter what happens here on this earth. There's only one. Our focus needs to be on him. The premise of our entire study on this subject of biblical stewardship. Really, it boils down, it, it's derived from what Jesus taught. It's derived from what the Apostle Paul summarized. And I want you to hold on to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First two verses. If there's nothing else, we summarize what we have been studying the last six weeks. and We summarize it with this idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This is bigger than you and I can ever figure out. Then it says this in verse 2. Moreover... It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It all boils down to that. You take six weeks and you reduce it to a phrase. You write it down, you memorize it. You put it on your refrigerator, you put it on your mirror, you put it in front of you, wherever you go. It is required of stewards, that's you and I, that we are to be found faithful. It's required. That means it's expected of us. It is foreseen. It is planned. It is understood beforehand, in advance, that you and I are to be found faithful faithful inevitably the question the question must be asked so how are you doing in that you personally don't don't elbow your husband your wife this is for you holy spirit speaks to us speaks to our hearts you know in your own heart how are you doing as a steward someone else's possessions you're responsible to manage in their best interest how are you doing are you doing your job and trusting God to do His? Are you and I trusting God to be everything that He says He is? Are you being faithful and handling the little tiny bits and pieces that He has entrusted into our care that He has blessed us with to have to have charge over? Have you been faithful with that? Or do you, in the quietness of your own heart, say, "You know what? I just, I just really, I, I don't have enough yet. I need to keep working. I don't. I'm not comfortable with where my 401k sits. I just, not, I just need a little bit more." Do, do you feel that you really need more? Uh, you will never have enough. Let me tell you this, people: you do not have to doubt God. He what? He closed the gap. That's what he does. He closes the gap for us. God distributes wealth unevenly. Not because he loves some more than he loves others, but so that everyone will learn to trust him. So you see, first and foremost, your spiritual wealth far greater, far greater than any physical wealth. And you'll be reminded of the fact that we are to take this tiny, tiny little bit that he has entrusted into our care and we use it to distribute to the needs of others. We live in a community that, that, that needs to be transformed, that literally needs to be changed. Read the newspaper every day. Hear of the divorces and the drunkenness and the drug abuse hear about the people that are searching for something and you and I have been blessed to have the answer of the truth of the gospel of a God who closes the gap that sinful men to have a relationship with a holy God and give us hope. God blesses me. God blesses us not to raise my level of living but to raise my level of giving. Father, we are so grateful that you have called us to be your own. We are humbled that we are joint joint heirs with you. May we understand the responsibility now that we have. May we understand that, that it is expected and required. It is It has been planned before the very foundations of the earth that in your sovereign will, we are to be found faithful. Give us all the strength we need to do that and to do that well. In your name we pray. Amen. stand, okay. The next uh, song we're going to sing is uh, an old hymn. and um, It's like a hymn of surrendering everything. And um, we're only singing three verses, sorry about that, but uh, when you go home, Google it or whatever you have to do, there's like a whole bunch of verses and it, it pretty much hits everything.